over the past few years, Netflix has been pumping out some pretty uh, propaganda-driven, quote-unquote, documentaries. From the Game Changers to the latest work of fiction, Live to 100, one of my favorite platforms has now turned into a space for pseudoscience to be perpetuated. Now, today's guest is a returning guest, someone that we've had on before and somebody who is a good friend that has created an episode that's probably one of my favorite all-time podcast episodes because he took from one of hundreds of episodes that he has recorded on his podcast, Boundless Body Radio, and has pulled together some of the best information from true experts, people who are debunking this concept that a vegan diet and this vegan propaganda and the fact that if you eat vegan, you're going to live to be a hundred and beyond because they live in some magical place called the blue zone. We're going to talk about the real science. We're going to talk about why that propaganda is propagated and many, many more topics. That's on today's episode of The Evolved Man. Welcome to The Evolved Man where we are at war with the mediocrity of modern man. The evolved man is for men like you who are willing to be strong, open, and aggressive learners. Men who are not afraid to disrupt and change. It's time we ditch the current conventional idea that we devolve with age, that the dad bod is our destiny, and that the glory days are behind us. Your best isn't behind you, and I'm here to provide you with practical tools, a few tips and tricks, and everyday wisdom to help you evolve into your highest form. Strong, lean, smart, educated, and emotionally intelligent. Now, let's go to war. Welcome back to The Evolved Man, where we are at war with the mediocrity of modern man. Before I want to get started, I want to thank the episode sponsor today, Med One Capital. I want to thank you for sponsoring The Evolved Man. We appreciate all the support. The Med One Group exists for the sole purpose of making needed medical equipment available to the healthcare industry. You can find out more information at themedonegroup.com. Today's guest is a returning guest, someone who is a good friend of mine and someone who, uh, when we get together to chat over coffee, it basically sounds like two podcasters getting together, asking each other questions. And I don't know that we really keep tally, but in, I, I think in each other's minds, we do keep tally of who asks the most questions. My good friend, Casey Ruff, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here with you. And I do have to say, before we start trashing Netflix documentaries, we have to remember that Netflix also made Drive to Survive, which is the greatest ah. documentary ever made and got the two of us into a completely new sport that neither one of us was interested in. You know, it's so funny you bring that up because I'm I'm literally watching or rewatching that series every night. I've gone back to season one, episode one. I am currently rewatching. I think last night when I uh, turned it off to go to bed, I was on season two, episode four or five. And um, yeah, I'm hooked. I mean, it it's is so the best good. documentary. It's, it's and 
So I, I don't know where you were at a few years ago with this, but I started watching what was happening in the NBA. And I grew up watching the NBA. I grew up watching college football and a little bit of NFL, some MLB. You know, I, I, I just loved sports. Little by little, I'm watching these guys and I'm thinking, man, you are, I don't, I don't, number one, I don't care about your politics. I don't go to my doctor and ask my doctor about politics and he doesn't shove it down my throat. My, my accountant doesn't do the same thing. I'm watching basketball players to play basketball. Don't, don't take, don't throw your political stance at me. I don't care. I'm just watching play basketball. So I became a little bit jaded and I thought, well, I want to watch something. I want to shift to, to something. What is there? And so I'm looking around, I find rugby. I'm like, yeah, there's not a lot of rugby in the U S but you know, I've got a, a friend of mine, Larry Gelwicks, who was the top rugby coach in America. Um, we had him on the podcast for one of the episodes and then he's amazing. F1 and drive to survive just like popped into my life. I was like, holy shit, are you kidding me? <laughs> Dude, it, it kept popping up as my recommended, like on my recommended list. I'm like, why is it recommending car racing? I don't give a shit about car racing. I never you don't have, give a like, shit about cars. No, not at all. Not yeah, at all. You don't even care about cars at all. You are the least <laughs> car you out of all of my friends. And a lot of my friends are car guys. You're the least car guy that I'm friends with. My car is three years old now. I still call it my new car because it's the first car I ever purchased <laughs> from new. It was the yeah. first car that I test drove because it was a stick shift, and that's all I wanted. Nice. It's a 2020 Jetta, which I absolutely love. Yeah, it's not, it's not breaking speed car. records. <laughs> no, it's a great little car. I've got a Jetta for my it's, uh, daughter. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. But yeah, so this show pops up and keeps popping up, and I'm like, okay, fine. Five minutes. I'm going to give this thing five minutes. I start watching it within two minutes. I'm just like, my jaw's on the ground. It's so exciting and intense. And like the show, I mean, frankly, the show is not as much about car racing. It is about the personalities and the storylines, right, right. but that's that's what made it interesting for Bethany to watch. Bethany doesn't watch the race. I watch the races now. Bethany yeah. does not, but she she loves Charlotte Claire for very obvious reasons. And, uh, yeah, he's a great looking guy. <laughs> Good looking dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but it, to see the story, to see the intensity, how they train, was super interesting like all of it was yeah just absolutely wonderful so before we bash netflix documentaries we do have to make a plug for one of our there's favorites. yeah that's and that's why i say it's one of my favorite platforms because i do watch a lot of stuff on netflix but holy cow a lot of their stuff now that they're putting out like this uh this lived 100s it, it's so mind-blowing but let's just pause for a second okay if we were to pick a team that we wanted to look like it'd have to be the ferrari team right i mean you look at carlos Sainz and, and charlotte claire that's a couple of good-looking men right there. Dashingly good-looking, for sure. <laughs> Driving over 200 miles an hour in yeah. the fastest cars in the world, and then yeah. they stand out. It's like, uh, and I'm a model. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm not gay, but you know what? If I had the opportunity, I would probably. <laughs> <laughs> Those two, that's the best-looking team Come out on. there. Exactly. Right? Yeah, no judgment. And you gotta you gotta love Bottas and uh his uh the mullet. I mean, there's there's a lot of great characters in, so in good. uh F1. But absolutely so good. It's become my favorite thing. I've actually learned there was one time where I texted you, I was like, dude, look, I can you believe it? And you're like, Oh, I haven't watched it yet. I'm with a client, I'm gonna go home and watch the race later. <laughs> so I've learned I have to ask you the question before I send it the text of like, have you watched it yet? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes Sometimes I'm in the same boat where I haven't watched the race. I'm watching it later on and I watch the replay, but I, I gotta be honest with you. I have a hard time. I'll get partway through the race and I'll just pop up 
uh, Instagram. And I'm like, oh, there's the top three. Okay. I already know what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instagram yeah. is off limits. Yeah. Facebook's okay. Twitter is questionable. If you're, right, if you're in right. the middle of a formula one race, Instagram is off you limits. can't. Yeah. Cannot. Cannot. Cannot get into it. Cannot. Even TikTok every once in a while, something will pop up on TikTok, but, but <sighs> Instagram, I can't pull up while I'm watching the, uh, yep. watching the absolutely not. That's become not. a tradition now on, on Sundays, typically Sunday mornings, but, uh, I'll, uh, I'll get up, I'll make some bacon, I'll make some coffee and, um, I'm upstairs and there's a reason I bought a big TV with a big subwoofer and it's primarily for F1 oh, so man. that I can watch that. You know, I, we were looking at tickets uh, recently for the uh, Las Vegas Grand Prix. And I mean, several thousands of dollars yeah. just to go watch that. And I thought, how cool would that be? But then I thought, wait a minute. I'm sitting here in the comfort of my own home with this TV where I can see the entire race. I can get the commentary. I can make my own espresso. I can make my own bacon. I can sit here and just enjoy it. And it is loud. I mean, it is super loud throughout yeah. my whole house. Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll probably travel at some point to go watch one of the Grand Prix. I think so, I'd love to travel to the Temple of Speed. Go, you, I got to go watch Monza. Amazing. That would right? be amazing. To see a race in Europe at Belgium or, or yeah, um, Spa Belgium or, or Monza would be amazing in Italy. Yeah. Um, and and I, I guess the feedback that I've heard is, is very similar to, say, football. So I went to my first football game in several mm -hmm. years. You know that football was a huge part of my life before the pandemic. I would right, try to make every right. single University of Utah football game. Interest kind of fell away during the pandemic and mm -hmm. it just never really came back. But I went to a game and it's fun. Like you're there, you're with the, the audience and, and everybody in the stadium. And man, I was sitting by the smartest people that every play, they were like, oh, they shouldn't have run. I knew they shouldn't have run the ball. I should have passed the ball. Like, well, yeah. well go yeah. tell the coach then if you're so smart. Like, go, right. go to there and right. tell them. And it's fun because it's the end energy and the loudness and all that stuff but also you have no idea what the hell is going on you just like see the players running around and you don't know who's who's where and what's going on and so they kind of <laughs> yeah, say the same yeah. thing about a formula one race like you you'd see the cars and it's amazing to see how big they are and powerful they are and how that the suction just sucks them down to the ground and they can turn at those ungodly speeds but you have no idea what's going on and the commentators for formula one are absolutely incredible you can mm -hmm. watch the race from any of their points of views and hear their communication back and forth with a team so yeah I, I i'm kind of the same like you and i need to travel to one one of these yeah. days but that yeah. would probably be like a one and done kind of thing your setup sounds pretty cool i think we do need to do um we got to go we got to hit monza That'd the other awesome. one i thought would be kind of cool is uh is going to austria just because it's a gorgeous <sighs> country and the uh the views from the racetrack look amazing but you know monza so i've got i i, I have two places that i want to travel uh relative to to speed uh, and Monza's one, but then I want to go to uh, go when they do 24 hour of Le Mans. Oh. I want to go over to France. I want to go uh, to the, uh, you know, the whole festival that they've got, be there for the race, just feel that, see what, I mean, that is such a, the legacy with that race is unbelievable. Um, I went uh, probably about an hour and a half just deep into video after video after video uh, over the weekend watching old races of 24 Hour of Le Mans. Wow. So those are two trips. I've told my wife, I'm like, that we're, I, either I'm doing that with some friends or you and I are doing that or <laughs> both. Like we're bringing Amazing. people. We're going to go do Le Mans. We're going to go do Monza. Uh, we got to go uh, do that stuff. So you're going to turn into a race car driver now, right? I, I'm still very slow. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You used to race bikes. 
Yeah, yeah. Even crit series. They were pretty fast on a track. Used to is the keyword there. Yeah, yeah. A lot of things change as we get it. I, uh, I, I've got to go to work on Monday morning. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so uh, the podcast seems to be really be doing well. How many episodes uh, have you released at this point? Oh, geez. Um, without looking, um, probably around 530 or something. It's Yeah, it's been quite a bit. It's just, it, it's not really on purpose. We just like, when I started, I was having so much fun with it and having more people to interview. And, you know, I just kind of got in a flow and we started releasing Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And we just kind of have held that kind of flow. So um, if you do releases three days a week and sometimes four, then all of a sudden after a few years, you end up with a lot of episodes and a lot of downloads. So yeah. um, really grateful and fortunate that, um, yeah, I've been able to go on that journey, as you well know, like podcasting, it's a ton of work, it costs us money, like we don't make yep. any money off of yep. it, like we maybe can meet some cool people and do some sessions that way. And, you know, that's something but it definitely doesn't pay for the podcast. But the, the experience of having conversations with people like listening to your last episode with you and Miles talk about tribes, it's just, it's wonderful. And that is kept you know what i mean like it's a conversation right. that you guys had could have just been the two of you having that conversation but you press record and you know now that's something i get to listen to and and hear my two friends um talking about tribes and it's it's really cool it's something that's very meaningful and um you get to meet tons of people and yeah it's been a really fun journey i remember we we were at sunset coffee in was it 2020 right 2020 when you yeah, uh, probably before we started this we're sitting at sunset coffee we're just bouncing ideas back and forth. And we had both come to the conclusion that we were going to do podcasts. And I don't know if you had already made the Boundless Body logo and, and done all of that stuff yet. Um, but I remember sitting there, we're talking about this. And now here we are in 2023, and you're, you've dropped over 500 episodes. You've obviously gone at a faster pace. I think that we're sitting just over 150 episodes. Amazing. 200 roughly with some of our shorts that we have released here and there, but um, 150 episodes, as we'll call it. You've really had a, gr a great pace. Talk a little bit about what are some of the things that you have learned through this whole process of learning from other experts? That's a huge question. Um, boy, I guess one of the biggest things I would say is is to really shut up and and kind of listen more. Um, we tried to have a really good kind of mix of um, you know world renowned experts, people that anybody in our, our field would really know authors uh researchers scientists doctors that kind of thing um we like highlighting them but i've also really loved highlighting people that wouldn't necessarily be in the limelight people that are doing really really good work in their own little corner of the globe um you know i, I think back on our time at, at lifetime fitness um where we were working at the time um and you know i feel like we were you know both doing pretty good work and i, I never felt like very much like recognized for that. And, right, and I think right. like, I would love to give a platform for other people who are kind of in that space that they know they're never going to break out and be, you know, a, a huge star or have tons of followers or, you know, make a business, whatever, but they're doing really good work. And so to, to be able to host both and then to learn to listen to, to what they have to say. And, um, you know, I used to, I used to make my questions ahead of time and I wouldn't always use them, but I'd always have like at least an outline or potential questions. And I still do tons of research before I do every episode. It's several hours that I do on each person. Um, I want to hear them on other shows and, and really understand their content. 
and try to unlock something that that nobody else has unlocked from them with mm -hmm. with how I ask my questions. But I don't also have a list of questions anymore. Um, I've got an idea of where I want the conversation to go, but but more than that, to to be able to just kind of listen and let the conversation play out a little bit has been something I I, I guess I've kind of done. I don't know if better is the right word, but differently in, in the last few years that I've done the show. You've always been a great conversationalist. When you talk about listening, what shifted for you? Well, I mean, I guess it's always something that's been um, somewhat in my consciousness, like reading, you know, when I was pretty young, reading the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People really talks mm -hmm. about like, to be a great conversationalist, all you have to do is like ask questions and don't talk about yourself as much. Um, and so that was that was part of it. I don't think I was necessarily very good at doing that. Um, and maybe another part of it is being a personal trainer. You know, I've trained for almost 17 years now and like understanding that people don't necessarily care that much about what you did and what's going on in your life. I'm here to, you know, give you exercises, count to 12 poorly, you know, do your program design, try to get you to your goals, that kind of thing. But also like, I, I, I genuinely want to be interested in my clients. What did you do this weekend? How are your kids doing? Um, you know, that kind of thing. And so I think that helps as well, but I, I guess with the podcast journey, um, learning, learning how to be <laughs> not very good at learning how to be a little bit more economical with my words and, and really hitting the mute button on myself more than I used to, I think has been really helpful as far as like a general concept. That's probably one of the biggest things I've learned. Any creative project pushes us. It causes us to open ourselves up to areas that we maybe weren't aware of some things we find you know, along the way. I remember one time you told me about how you went back and looked at podcasts that you had done and you said, I counted and I, I, I can't remember what the number was, but how many times you had said, um, and you were so pissed off about it. You've been criticized at times about your voice <laughs> and you have favorite. a great response to it. Talk about that. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so I'm already very self-conscious of my voice. I don't know what it is. Um, I, I just don't like it. I think most people don't really like the sound of their own voice. I've never liked mine. You've got, you've got such a great, uh, voice for radio. You also have a face for TV. So that's a good thing. <laughs> that's, Thank you. Thank exactly. You. Yeah. I didn't want to get that. Larry Gelwig used to always tell me I had a, I had a face for, for a radio too. <laughs> <laughs> My dad so has a face for radio. We'll we'll throw yeah. him under the bus. <laughs> Good. <Okay. Well, laughs> Wes has got the face or the face for TV. That's why he's been so successful. Yeah, same station for like thirty eight years, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what was the question? <laughs> you, you respond well to uh, uh, to yeah. the criticisms. So yeah, I I mean. We don't take things personal, right? You should never take things personal. That said, like sometimes people say things that you just. They're not really necessary. Like we have, we have so many positive reviews on our show, and there's one one star review of our podcast that said the guests are awesome, the the content is great, but the voice the the voice of the host sucks or something like that. And I was like, why isn't that worth like a three star? That could be at least like in the middle. Like Just drop you down one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Give give the Go guests a little bit of props. So yeah, I mean, I've. I've done things like um, I started working with an audio engineer. Actually, somebody reached out to me um, about a year ago and started to introduce me to all kinds of different settings on um, the podcast mixer that both of us use, which if you go into the settings, there's tons of different things that you can change and control. And I started messing with that. I tried making my voice, you know, maybe deeper or um, 
you know, I've tried to slow down a little bit in my speak. I just naturally talk fast. I get really excited about stuff and I say a lot of words and, you know, it, it, it just came to some point. I just made the decision, like, what am I doing? Like, not only am I obsessing about the sound quality that maybe some people care about, maybe they don't, I don't know, but it, it's not making me happy. And at the end of the day, this is my show. So I guess when I, if people say anything, I just, you know, try to respond the best that I can and just know that's, you know, maybe it hurts my feelings or doesn't. I try not to make it personal, but if I, you know, it does, I, yeah, I don't know. I just try not to worry about it too much. Why, why do you think people say stuff like that? I, I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, you and I know, as you kind of teed this up, that I'm, you know, primarily in the carnivore space. I've been in the low carbohydrate space for a long time. I started the carnivore diet in 2019. And, um, I, and I've done it ever since. So it's been almost five years. And I, I I would not even dream of spending 10 seconds of my life going to some vegan to tell them that they're stupid or they're wrong, or they've got the stats wrong on the environment, or they, they don't know anything about ethics and they don't know anything about nutrition. Like I would never take any time out of my day to, to criticize anybody else. If that's what somebody wants to do, if that's something that somebody wants to do, that's great. And so I, I don't understand why people would go out and criticize other people for certain things. Um, if you don't like it, like you don't have to listen. This is free. Like, like you don't have to listen to it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's not really something that I really understand or put a ton of energy into. And so if people want to say stuff, that's fine. And, and it is the rare, I mean, it's, it's more rare than it is common. Um, but yeah, for the people that do it, I don't know. I just, it's not really in my energy. It's not something I really like try to worry about. <laughs> Well, things you do. I think that it, that that it, I I appreciate and I enjoy. First, you'll recognize and you'll say, "Hey, I don't like my voice that much either." And I think that owning it, you know, we all have things that people could look at and say, "Oh, hey, this is wrong about you," right, from their perspective, or I don't like this. And great, okay, I I don't like that about myself either, but I can't change it. And so I think that's a great way to own it. The other piece is just saying, all right, I'm going to take it. That's probably coming from a point of uh, pain and I wouldn't do that, but I'm going to move on. And I don't think enough people do that in today's day and age. I mean, these people who make a comment like that, how sad do they have to be to worry about something that bad? Or I mean, yeah. that, that, that nominal, it's just, it's not, who cares? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, and and the last one was so good. I posted on social media. I love oh, this one. I'm referring yeah, to exactly. Most. Yeah, called me insipid, which I'm still not fully 100 sure I know the definition. And then and then said uh, dictionary. Yeah, please. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and then said like, Dr. Chafee, my guest, like really needs to be more choosy about which shows he decides to be on. So part of my response was like, yeah, I'll let him know. So I did. I messaged him. I'm like, hey man, you really need to be a little bit more considerate when you're appearing on podcasts. Don't be on mine anymore. And uh, we had a good chuckle over that. I did, don't don't be on the show of a guy who's really smart, but you might not like his voice. Or or <laughs> or Joe. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, from Michigan doesn't like your, your voice. So don't there be you go. in case you show up because of that. You know. <laughs> there you go. I might not be reaching out to invite him anytime soon. <laughs> Probably not. You have really focused in on this low carb and, and, and high protein space for quite some time, which about 500 plus episodes in, I mean, you've got to consider yourself somewhat of an expert or an authority because of these conversations that you've had, but also you've worked with a lot of clients how do you continue to push yourself to learn more? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to be a little bit more, um, I don't know, not think of myself as, as, um, an expert really in anything. Um, my wife and I were talking yesterday, she's doing a, a cadaver course. Um, so it's her second annual cadaver course that she's done with Tom Myers who wrote anatomy trains and they're dissecting live bodies. And she was just saying over the phone, like we're cutting these people up and I'm talking to all these other people and they know so much more than I do. I'm like the stupidest person in the room. And it's like that I, I told her, like, that's how it is when you're learning more, you realize, you know, less and less and less about something, the more you go, like the saying goes, the further away from the shore, you get the deeper the water is. Right. And so I always think there's, there's something to learn and unlearn and redo and perfect in some kind of different way. Um, it's a field that's really exciting to me right off the bat. So, um, you know, you and I have talked about like when we were doing homebrewing, you and I learned how to do homebrewing together. It's not really something we stuck with or anything, but it was interesting because, you know, in high school, I didn't care about chemistry. I didn't care about temperature conversions, you know, Celsius to Fahrenheit. I didn't care about, um, you know, machining equipment or problem solving, but homebrewing kind of teaches you that same kind of stuff. Mm. And now all of a yeah. sudden you do care about chemistry and you care about the temperatures and all these other things and all the effects. Same with formula one. Like I didn't care about aerodynamics and now I'm learning aerodynamic principles that I'd never would have cared about in high school that, Oh, this is why the car is three tenths faster than that other car, because it's got this effect and we added this little tiny little flap. And so I don't know, I, it's easy for me to want to learn about things that I'm interested in. And I, the, the world of low carbohydrate nutrition, it's just got so many things to be interested in. Do you want to talk about our evolution? Do you want to talk about our biology? Do you want to talk about, um, you know, the history of things and how food companies came to be and what the medical system is doing, how health insurance works, like you can jump in and so many different places that makes it very interesting. And Again, I think part of it is learning and other parts of it is unlearning. Like the things I thought about low carbohydrate diets several years ago, I've had to like rethink and like, wow, maybe it's not the very best thing for everybody. Maybe women do need to carb cycle. Maybe certain men in certain situations need to worry about other things or they should have fruit or whatever. Like there's so many nuances. In my opinion, it keeps it really interesting and it's a fun space because there's always somebody kind of coming in and has their own little angle with things. And the podcast gives me a good opportunity to talk about those things and learn about those things as well. It's pretty cool. I like how you, uh, Bethany said that she, she feels like that she's not the smartest in the room. And I've always thought that as soon as you feel like you're the smartest in the room, you're in the wrong room mm. because you're not going to grow in there. Yeah. Now, you could be giving to other people, but there's no growth in that room, yeah. whatever the That's room is. And so one of the things that I have constantly pushed myself on is saying, okay, who can I learn from? If I don't, if I feel like I'm the smartest in the room, then I'm in the wrong space. I need to find a better tribe. I need to find a tribe that is not looking up to me, but that I can look up to and push myself a little bit further. You've had some world-renowned guests on your show, best-selling authors, experts throughout the field, uh, nutritionists, dietitians, researchers, you name it. Recently, with this large episode that you pulled together, you pulled a lot of information that directly debunked the concept that's being put out there with the Blue Zones. For listeners who haven't heard of what a Blue Zone is, can you give a breakdown? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, made popular by this recent documentary, Live to 100, done by um, Dan Buettner and um, put on by Netflix. So the, the original story, as I understand it, is that two demographers, I, I can't remember their name, um, they 
were curious about why it seemed like there were areas in the world that had a certain population of older people. For whatever reason, it was more than normal centenarians, octogenarians, people that, that live quite a long time, um, and also seemed to be very happy. And so they studied a few areas and identified four different places in the world where this seemed to occur. So those four places um, are in Okinawa, Japan, and Sardinia, um, in um, Nicoya, I believe is Costa Rica, and then there's one more in Greece. And they they identified that these areas have, you know, again, a greater propensity of people that that age and age well. Um, and the, the legend goes that they were circling these areas with a blue pen, hence they became the blue zones. Mm -hmm. And um, they were, again, kind of curious about what kind of lifestyle traits these people had. How did they live? Who did they live with? What was their life like? Uh, did they exercise? Did they eat a certain way? Did they drink? Did they smoke? Like all kinds of different things. And so they, they attempted to kind of study this. And that was all fine and good until um, 2005 when the National Geographic wanted to get involved. And Dan Butner is one of their authors. He's written about lots of different things. And he got involved with the Blue Zones Project and wanted to do a story about it. But to be able to sell the concept to Americans, we needed to identify a quote unquote blue zone here in the United States. And so they did do that. They identified Loma Linda in California as the fifth blue zone. And so for many years, there's been those five blue zones. And um, yeah, it's it's been this concept of understanding what people do to live a very long time. And it's also been a really nice platform to write a bunch of like best-selling books, which has been done by Dan Butner, um, talking about all kinds of things. And in particular, talking about diet has been, um, I would say like a disproportional area of their focus. And we can talk about why that is, but um, they, they've kind of had this idea that people in these areas eat a primarily plant-based diet. And because of the way these people live, the recommendation from Dan Butner specifically is that we should all be adhering to a 90 to 98% uh, plant-based diet. And so again, like you're looking at these people, they, they're happy, they're dancing, they always live with family. Most of these areas are on hills, so they're climbing up and down. Um, there's purpose and meaning and, and you know the, the grandmas still make lunch for the family and they still take care of the grandkids and like they do all these other things but yet like i said in, in any interview that you hear dan butner do when he's asked like what's the most important thing what's the top thing if you could choose from you know the nine pillars that he has the number one thing he always says is you should be eating a primarily plant-based diet that consists of 90 to 98 percent plants and so it's just yeah it's it's it very curious <laughs> Where did that particular recommendation come from? Because the researchers did not find that the that not over ninety percent plant based diet was consistent across the blue zones. No, they didn't. Um, and the way they collected their data was, I mean, it was just all over the place. Like a lot of the data they used in Japan was taken from a nineteen fifty food survey where Japan has just been obliterated by a war and they found that they are eating sweet potatoes. And in one of the episodes about Okinawa, I believe it was the first episode of Live to 100, the woman in there literally says like sweet potatoes are amazing because they're survival food. They are survival food. They're not the food you eat to thrive. It's how you get through a tough time. Right. And so again, the way they collected the data is, is really, really interesting. But but with Dan Butner identifying the fifth blue zone as Loma Linda, um, basically Loma Linda is very different than the other four blue zones that were first identified because the first four, at least in the populations they were looking at, people 
are born in the same area. They live in the same area. They die in the same area. They, they don't go out. They All the same people know each other. They're friends for ages and ages. They live with a family, all those other traits that we talked about. Loma Linda is a, basically, if you want to think of it as like a retirement community for the Seventh-day Adventist church. Um, and this is where things start to get a little bit interesting. Um, the Seventh-day Adventist church was created by Ellen G. White. Um, it was on the heels of the Millerite movement. I'm not sure if you're much familiar with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So are you familiar with kooky religions that came out of the 1800s? Several. <laughs> you do? Okay. Anyway, um, so so yeah, the Millerites believed that the world was going to end to the extent that they like sold their possessions, um, you know, went to a certain area, waited for the specific day. It didn't come. They called it the Great Disappointment, something like that. And and out of that offsprung all kinds of other religions. And one of them was started by Ellen G. White. Um, as a young girl, she um, had a concussion and probably had seizures, um, was, was maybe in a coma for a while. Uh, not exactly sure on that, but um, started having visions from God and started to create this church. And one of the visions that she had was that um, it was very much based in like... Um, carnal sin basically any kind of sex sexual acts that kind of thing were very much looked down upon and thus they identified that you know eating meat the way that we had always done creates healthy hormones and creates sexual drive which it very well should and they were abhorrent to that and so um part of her revelations was that a plant a plant leaning diet um would be the best way to go. Now, it's important to say that it was never recommended to be a vegan diet because a vegan diet liter literally is lethal. Like you can't live on a vegan diet. You have no. to supplement with something. And so, right. you know, they right. would eat, from my understanding, eggs and dairy and that kind of thing that only later became um, kind of perverted over to like a, a, an only plant diet, or that's at least the language that people hear. Yeah. Um, and so now you have this religious influence um, that's coming into this message about what these people eat in the blue zones. And so you might be thinking as a listener, like, what the hell do I care about a religion and, and revelations that were had, you know, 150 years ago? I don't care about that. Like I can eat whatever I want. It's not a big deal, but you don't understand like the implications of the seventh day Adventist church saying that Jesus literally would not come back until enough people had converted to their, their religion and their way of eating in particular, they were the ones who started preaching about nutrition. They were the ones that started the dietetic school, the American dietetic school for over a century. It's, it's Seventh-day Adventist. It all comes with that background. And when they're influencing all the nutrition guidelines, all the nutrition textbooks, the literally the nutrition school in Loma Linda, and then infiltrates governments and government recommendations, and that is allowed to continue for over 100 years, like that has a huge, massive impact. Even today, even though it's just a, a small religion, they don't have many people. I don't know hardly any members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but it's, it's that impact that they had because they were kind of first to the message of the plant-based diet would help Jesus come back and, and redeem the earth, basically. A lot of it had to do with trying to get men to stop masturbating too, right? Yeah. So again, being so much against carnal sin, um, that was one of the worst things you could do. And as 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 interesting as Ellen G. White's writings were about the topic, um, it really was the writings of um, John Harvey Kellogg that took it like kind of the next step. So um, if you're curious about that name, yes, you recognize Kellogg. Um, and um, his family was part of that Millerite movement, and so much so that his his 
his family never sent him to school, really. They pulled him out of school because it's like, well, Jesus is coming back anyway, so you don't need to go to school. You're going to be fine. So they pulled him out of school. He needed a job eventually and got a job doing all the writing for Ellen G. White's visions. And so he would type, you know, typescript all the stuff that she would say and transcribe it all. And obviously, as a 12-year-old, you're going to be heavily influenced by whatever is going on. And so as he grew up, they eventually sent him um, to a medical um medical university he did become a doctor eventually mm -hmm. um he created the sanitariums um which are basically um anything you think of that you see in a normal modern day hospital kind of had its um beginnings in a sanitarium bring all kind of people and specialities in, in one area wearing a white lab coat like all of that stuff was kind of created by john harvey kellogg and as part of their mission they really you know wrote quite um, aggressively against masturbation, said it was pretty much like the worst thing you can do. And as part of that, he wanted to invent some kind of food that would be bland that kids could eat that would quell their natural desires to touch themselves, essentially, and masturbate. And so eventually he came up with cold cereal, which was cornflakes. Uh, the company was eventually taken over by his brother. They kind of fought over whether the cereal should have sugar or not. And eventually, sugar cereal won the day with his brother taking over the company. Uh, this was in Battle Creek, Michigan. And so, again, that's an area that post post cereal comes from and graham from graham cracker comes from like there's a, there's a huge hotbed because that's where the invents were mostly like concentrated in at the time and so that's where cold cereal comes from like when you ask somebody on the street like did you know that cold cereal came from a doctor who wanted to prevent masturbation people are like what in the hell are you talking about like what it's a crazy story but the, that's how it came to be it was common back in those days for religions to uh, not only make big claims, uh, but to also make claims of here is specifically what God told me to do for this religion. And as a big part of that, there were dietary restrictions. There were dietary recommendations. Uh, the temperance movement, if, if our listeners have not studied that, the temperance movement was a big part of that time as well, telling people what to eat, what to be, what to drink, how to do those things to get closer to God. It's fascinating to think about the power that this movement has had. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day, right? It's a great slogan if you're a cereal company, right? <laughs> I mean, you and I are very familiar with the Mormon religion. We both grew up in the Mormon church. Right. And, yeah, you know, in the LDS church, the Mormon church, we have what's called the word of wisdom, which is, again, another set of rules all about religion. And, I mean, it, it says it says a whole lot of things. And people focus on the, the one thing it says, which the, the, the foods of the earth, like it, it almost sounds like fruits and vegetables are the, the, the greatest things that you could be eating. And that needs to be a center part of your diet. But people don't realize, like back in the 18... 30s whenever he had that vision like people were not eating fruits and vegetables like you could get candida very easily fruits and vegetables were not available 365 days out of the year when you got them it was a treat they didn't look anything like they do today most vegetables that you see in a store would be completely unrecognizable back then those are things that we've been able to breed differently same with fruits you get these giant softball sized apples at the store right. that's not how apples look and just thinking logically about places they lived in like ohio and illinois like you would not have access to fruit you didn't have a semi-truck 
you know, moving fruit from a port that came up from South America to bring you mangoes to enjoy in February. You know what I mean? There would have been a time where all that stuff would have been limited, but everybody gets so fixated on the one thing, which is like the fruits and vegetables are like the best part of the diet. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, it's really interesting, um, how those messages messages kind of get twisted up. So I'm not opposed to people having faith and belief and religion and spiritual ideas at all. There's science that we can't ignore. And when we're talking about nutrition, we're talking about science. We probably should follow the science. When we're talking about things of the heart, then maybe um, we we should be following some sort of faith-based concept, right? They're two totally separate things. They shouldn't be uh, put together, right? In fact, James P. Carson, in his book, um, well, now I'm blanking on the name. Uh, it'll come back to me. But he he talks about the the concept of science and religion the crossover, the fight over it. And he references back to Galileo. And when Galileo observed the movements of the stars and how that created this massive conflict between him and the Pope at the time, uh, to the point where they basically said, renounce everything that you have said, or uh, you're going to be killed. And so he did. He renounced it. He said that he was uh, heretical. And that, uh, you know, he basically just lived the rest of his 10, 12 years of his life in uh, isolation, in, um, you know, uh, uh, exile, as he called it. So it's not that people shouldn't, at least from my perspective, have some sort of faith or some sort of belief. But when it comes to nutrition and nutrition science and our bodies, it just seems to make sense that we should learn the basic nutrition science. Breakfast is not necessarily the most important meal of the day. In fact, many people do much better without eating a breakfast. What are some of the things that our listeners may not know about the Blue Zones? Well, you just, you have to be really careful on that note. And I'll just give a quick example. Um, Recently, this has been asked for for a very long time. The people in the carnivore space we do care about the science. And I've noticed that on, you know, the people that are eating a a carnivorous diet, for example, which is um, the way I define it is at least 75% of your calories coming from animal products. It doesn't mean you're only eating animal products. You can eat other things if you like, but um, eating a a carnivore diet basically flies in the face of anything anybody's been told about nutrition for the last 100, 150 years. So it's, it's a big deal. And people in the space are curious about it. We want to know, like, well, like cholesterol is cholesterol going to kill me like my wife's cholesterol my wife has an ldl cholesterol of over 200 that is double what it should be like don't you think that scares the shit out of me to like want to know and learn like is this harmful she seems metabolically healthy she's 30 years old and her other markers look fantastic so if if bad cholesterol is bad and causes heart disease that's a huge thing so we want answers to those questions and so again in in this space what we have wanted is some type of a debate a friendly respectful debate if we could get some plant-based people on the stage if we can get some animal-based people on the stage share their opinions talk about some different things let's talk about the science people in the carnivore space really just want some justification for what some of the people in the plant-based space are saying how are you justifying the fact that are, are these things healthy are they 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 maybe they may not be we want to know what's your opinion we would love to just hear it's not that we want to like argue with you we just want to know the justification and um the thing that happens is exactly kind of what you mentioned, where there's there's a scientific way to say something like we think this, we have an idea of this, this study says this, 
Um, it doesn't say this. We have to be careful about this. Uh, we know this from evolution. This has been studied, whatever. People that talk in that way do so in a very careful and scientific way. And people in the plant-based space, it seemed to be a little bit more of that religious thing. And, and we did have a debate several months ago. It was in England that it happened that we had some plant-based people with some carnivore-based people. And it's exactly how it went. Like from the carnivore, carnivore perspective, it was very scientific and to the point. And from the plant-based perspective, it was like everybody knows that vegetables are good for you or experts agree that fruits and vegetables are better for you. Like that's not necessarily science. It's people's opinion. And, and, you know, they had used a plant-based diet to help their kids or whatever. And they were very emotional about it. And that's great. That's awesome. But, but it's very different when you're talking the science of things, like you said, and in all, in all fairness, nutrition science is incredibly difficult to do. Like the way we need to learn things about food is basically you have to do what is called a randomized controlled trial. So basically when you're testing drugs, you have two groups, you, you assume they're big enough to have an impact and you assume also that you've controlled for all the variables, meaning everything is the same between these two groups. It's just that one group is getting the actual pill and then the second group is getting placebo and let's see what happens, however long you need to follow them to see what the effect is. And if you get a big enough sample size to say that like, wow, like, 50% of the people in the pill group got an improvement over the people that got the placebo. That's some pretty strong evidence. And now you can move forward with doing your pill. So to think we could do the same thing with nutrition um, is really difficult. Like, what are you going to do? Lock up like a thousand people, 10,000 people in separate metabolic wards and only feed them the same things, you know, all day, every day for many years. Um, that that's just really tough to do. The closest thing we've ever been able to do to do that was called the Minnesota coronary trial, which mm -hmm. was done in the 1970s, which was in mental hospitals. And so they could control meticulously what people ate in these, in, in the hospital. And like one group got plant-based type butter and margarine and that kind of thing. And the other group got the normal kind of saturated fat. And they were able to follow these people for seven years. And not only did it not show that the plant-based stuff and the vegetable oils were better for people, they actually had worse outcomes than the people that were just eating the saturated fat. But rather than publish the data immediately, they sat on it for, I believe, 16 years before it came out in some very obscure journal somewhere. And it wasn't until the last like six, seven years that a reporter discovered it and was like, where is all this data from this study that was supposedly done? And they found it in the basement of the dude's home in Minnesota. The son had to travel for several weekends digging around the house trying to find all this data. And they found it, like proved that an animal-based diet with saturated fat was better for people than the plant-based, but, but they didn't want to talk about it. So the data never got really released and talked about. So it's that kind of thing. I just, people need to be very careful when they're listening to ideas that come out in shows like live to 100, where there's not, there's not conclusive evidence of anything yet they're saying this thing or there's a headline that says keto is going to kill people and when you look at the numbers in the study it's ridiculous and not peer-reviewed and has nothing to do with those randomized controlled trials it has to do with like food surveys that are horribly inaccurate and it's just it's it sucks because people don't know how to comb through studies and and how to learn about that stuff it takes time to understand what hazard ratios are and what p-values are and what epidemiology is compared to that randomized controlled trial like i talked about and we're, we we allow expert opinion to tell us how to live our life. It's like Lewis Hamilton 
eats a vegan diet. And so we think, wow, he's so good at racing cars and he eats vegan. I should eat vegan too. And if he does it for planetary health, like if he saved one of his flights to a fashion show on a private jet, that would do more for the planet than eating a plant-based diet. It, it's right. just, right. It, it, it's tough because people are pushing an agenda. A plant-based diet is very high in processed foods and plant uh, you know, food manufacturers make tons of money when we eat a plant-based diet. And it's fair to say we are already eating a plant-based diet in America and across the world. We are plant-based. It already is. And plant-based just means that all our food is coming from corn and soy and wheat and, and, and processed foods. So yeah, it's just, it, it's hard because the science is very different than expert opinion um, or anecdote. You know what I mean? Like stories. Uh, there's, there's agendas that people need to understand. Who was it that was on one of your podcasts and you, you referenced this in your episode on the blue zones uh, that said what you just said, that we are primarily on a plant-based diet right now. I can't remember who it was. Um, it could have been James Connolly. He's a food writer. Um, we took a segment of his chat and put that in that episode. And then I also did a, a, another episode with him primarily talking about this documentary. Um, so it could have been him. He's, he's very, very smart with diets and how we eat. And it was actually pointed out to me in the last metabolic conference that I went to. Um, somebody was on stage and said that. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I'd never thought of it in that light. That's absolutely right. We are eating plant-based. We're eating tons more plants. We are animals. Um, so you've looked at a lot of logs from clients over the years, right? Say that again. You, you've looked at a lot of logs from clients yeah. over the years. Yeah. You, yeah. You've seen a lot of people, what they're eating. I have too. And what you said, I would say I back that up 100% when someone comes to me and they say, this is what I'm eating. The majority of their calories come from a plant-based source, whether it's bread, whether it's pasta, whether it's uh, popcorn, it, it doesn't matter. Very, very few people are getting food from meat, from a carnivore-type uh, space. And so we've already done this plant-based or over 70% plant-based. Let's look at the statistics. How are we doing? Well, probably at this point, one of the most recent statistics that I, I uh, saw was that over 70% of men in America are obese. Now, we've talked about like over 70% of people in America are overweight and or obese, but over 70% of men in America are obese. If you're not obese, you're in the minority. Yeah. If you are fit, you are in the extreme minority. If you are lean, you are in the top 1%. That's crazy. We've no. done this plant-based thing, you know, and don't get me wrong. I love Arnold. Uh, I'll always be a fan of Arnold, but when I read, watched game changers, and he talks about how he's eating more plant-based. And I'm like, wait a minute. I just read your article a week ago where you showed in your, uh, it was in like Men's Health App Magazine or something like that. And then he did a video follow-up. He's like, come on, guys, let me show you what's in here. Here's my eggs. And this is the steak that I eat. And you got to drink, you know, okay, I don't drink the milk. Like I said, I'm pumping iron. You drink beer but I actually do drink the milk. And <laughs> so he goes through in this video talking about all the things that he's eating and it's, you know, he's got meat in his diet and he's got, um, I, but then on game changers, he said that he's eating primarily vegetarian and vegan. I'm like, Oh, come on, man. Don't sell out for something like that. <laughs> it was a massive Stupid bowl of document. eggs in the yeah. fridge too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No game changers was um, awful. 
Game Changers was was awful. It was super well done, put on by James Cameron, who yeah. owns stake in Verdient Health, which is a pea protein company. A lot of the people, um, investors in that, I including Lewis Hamilton. James Cameron. Okay, so that's why he did it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Arnold a, made a shit ton of money from Cameron. It's a great advertisement. Yeah, yeah. it's a really good yeah. advertisement for plant-based diets. Um, yeah. I, I do have the list somewhere of people that appeared in Game Changers, and it shows their status now. Like, these are all the people that got injured. These are all the people that retired. These are all the yeah. people that had to go off the diet. It's pretty astounding. But it's almost like Cowspiracy. Like, Cowspiracy came out maybe, like, 2014 and used very erroneous numbers to say that cows were harming the, the planet and were contributing 51% of uh, greenhouse gases to um, to our atmosphere, which— From, from like, elching and farting. Like— think about that like really really yeah, like some common sense 51 percent, really right and right. so the the facts were brought to them and they eventually had to walk them back and they brought the numbers down which is still incredibly high to like 14 percent, which is not true but it's not like they throw a parade and tell everybody that people no. still watch cowspiracy with the old numbers and they're wrong and so they, they go around thinking that cows are ruining the planet when they're absolutely not they're building up topsoil and sequestering carbon and they're doing tons of amazing things for the planet we've always had ruminant animals for millions of years you think all of a sudden it's cows that are ruining the planet give me a break so stupid it it, it makes no sense now the interesting thing is i've met vegetarians and vegans over uh my my lifetime um there's really only one vegan that i ever liked but that's just because we had we had a good friendship and he was uh um, and I didn't, I, I interact with him and then he would disappear for months at a time. And, and I, and I really liked him, but a lot of other people didn't like him because much <laughs> like many other vegetarians and vegans, they're not stable. They, uh, you, you do that long enough and you are not healthy. You are not physically healthy. You are not mentally healthy. We are not designed to live on a plant diet. We are not designed to live off of plants. We're not designed to be able to function on that. There are so many things out there that show this. I mean, I, I joke all the time. I'm a big, big fan of that show um, alone. I don't know if you've ever watched that yeah. and where they go drop people off in the middle of nowhere and they have to be by themselves alone. And then the, you know, it's whoever lasts the longest you watch what happens. If there are people who can't get meat, can't get fish, they whittle down to nothing in a month, a month and a half, just by eating figs and berries and whatever, plant-based. You, you can't live on that. And that show in and of itself, but we have convinced people that this is the way to go. This is the kind way of living. This, I'm telling you, kindness, no, it's absolutely not kind. It's not kind to you. It's not kind to the planet. Life eats life. If you think that not eating an animal is kind, it's ridiculous. You are, you're delusional. You are absolutely delusional if you think that somehow it's kind. The lion that kills the gazelle to eat the gazelle is not mean. He's living. That's it. Life eats life. And then what happens is then that gazelle goes through the digestive system, gets pooped out. Then that creates the life that grows up into the grass that feeds the gazelles later on. Life eats life. It just... It, it's ridiculous. So again, I've met a lot of vegans and vegetarians in my day. Most of them got there because of propaganda. Most of them read something, heard something, and they went on the propaganda. I have never met a person that went on keto or carnivore or any of the iterations of any type of low-carb, high-protein diet that got there because of propaganda. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's it's different. And and recently I joined um, a book club. Um, I, I don't know if they read as much as you and I and Miles did in our book club. Like <laughs> often, we were, often we, were, half, we were way more funny too. Half half joke that it was a wine club with a book problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking. <laughs> I'd look over. I'm like, Miles, what are you doing? What are you, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? You, you guys are talking about hey, Zen in the art hey, of. Uh, hey. <laughs> totally. Hey, I'm having a good time over here. Uh, you guys are talking about Zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance. And, um, it just feels a bit like telling your third grade teacher that you didn't actually do the homework, but I actually never read the book. <laughs> um, but you really got into, uh, um, Dao Fu. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Much more, less words, easier words to understand. Pictures. Um, but I mean, exactly. But I'm in a book club and it's put on by Dr. Anthony Chafee, who's a carnivore out of um, Perth, Australia. Really amazing guy. Got to meet and hang out with him a few times. He's awesome. And um, the, the group of the people that meet up for the book club, they're just everyday people. They're from all over the world. They're, they're seeking knowledge and understanding and they're learning from these books and you know the the person that puts on the book club is is you know really intelligent was doing this for a really long time most of the books that they talk about are books that i have read in my life and i'm very familiar with i've probably hosted a great majority of them on the show anyway but you get this real sense of like these everyday people are not here they're not here for the fuck of it I, they're not here right, right because they thought it would be way fun to uh, just eat meat and and fly in the face of convention. These people have suffered greatly with something. Uh, people with bipolar, maybe digestive issues, skin issues, mental disorders, schizophrenia, bipolar, like crazy things that people have suffered with. And they have found something after suffering for so long that can actually help them and they feel really good. And now they're just seeking the truth and like, okay, like, like one of my good friends, Robin, I met her um, in Texas. I actually met her in Denver when I did Low Carb Denver. And she is <clears throat> the type of person that's very similar to my wife. When she eats a low carbohydrate diet, her cholesterol goes really, really, really high, especially her LDL or what we consider quote unquote bad cholesterol goes yeah. really, really high. My wife's but, the same way. Okay, so there you go. That That is in, in a category of people that we call lean mass hyper responders. If you are a lean person and you eat a low carbohydrate diet, your cholesterol very likely can go really, really high. And so studies are going on right now that are absolutely fascinating, by the way, um, where we're looking at these people to see like, okay, they've got really high cholesterol. Is this actually cause for concern or is this just a byproduct of a different way that the body is using energy and trafficking cholesterol and fat through the body so so the way to alleviate that and really easy way to do that is you introduce a small amount of carbohydrates back in the diet and the ldl cholesterol will go right back down to where it needs to be it's amazing that the system is so dynamic you can get i, I could get your ldl cholesterol to either go up by double or drop by double in a few days if you ever had like a cholesterol test i could i could help you know what to do to be able to make your doctor happy essentially but but the catch is with my friend robin if she reintroduces carbohydrate she gets bipolar symptoms so hmm. what interesting that that's uncomfortable right like yeah. it's not a fun yeah. decision do i want my ldl cholesterol to be in an area that my doctor says is problematic and is going to kill me of a heart heart disease or like Am I willing to be bipolar again and have terrible symptoms and be, you know, hard on my kids and my husband? Like, that's a tough problem to have. And so, again, like, 
what I see in the carnival world is not necessarily dogma. People want answers. They're just seeking questions. And the people that turn around and want to share their message, they're trying to help other people to see the same thing as well. And we're not saying that this is the only thing everybody needs to do forever. Like we just, we want answers and we want to try to try to help people. Um, and in fact, going back to kind of the point you were making before, one of the books we're studying now is The Vegetarian Myth by Lear Keith. She was a vegan vegetarian for like 20 years to her own detriment. She was able to reverse some of the health issues she had by being vegan. Others she will have um, for the rest of her life, really, really terrible things that was caused by eating a vegan diet. And she made the point like, this is not good for anything. Eating plant-based, it doesn't help you. It doesn't help the planet. And it's not even better ethically when you really consider it. And she completely destroyed her health. We're reading her book now and she makes many great points in her book, which I highly recommend. But yeah, it's it, it sucks because it's so enticing. And I, I love the reason why people go plant-based. Like, it's always for the best reasons. It's because I want to save the planet, like I said, or you want to be ethically kind. You don't want to kill a cow, but you don't realize like the combine that's going through and killing thousands of animals in a cornfield when it's being harvested. Like you, you have to do like so many mental gymnastics to not think that your way of eating is not also killing things. So I understand the motive and why people want to believe this story and that plant-based is better for everything. It's just simply not, it's not better for anything. Yeah. It's uh, I, you know, I don't talk about this a lot, but my journey to low carb was, you know, this because I worked with you back in the day when we started to experiment with this on me, I had gotten to a point where I think I had an extra 30 plus pounds that I had put on. And I was a guy where it didn't show, you know, I would, I was wearing a suit every day and everybody would look at me and think, oh, you're fit and you're healthy. You don't look like you have any weight to lose, but I could, I could hide it well when I was wearing a suit or I could, I could hide it well just about in any clothes. But as soon as my shirt came off, you could tell that everything was soft. I wasn't, I didn't feel good mentally. I would have a hard time focusing emotionally. I would have these mood swings that would go up and down. I'm like, what the heck is happening? And then just nonstop digestive issues. Um, it was so frustrating. And I remember one day I'm sitting on a uh, the the beltway somewhere in uh, in Denver, and I got stuck in traffic. I was on my way to to give a lecture, and I'm looking at the time, and then I'm looking at getting stuck, and I'm looking at the time, looking at getting stuck, and I just looped and I cycled and I looped and I cycled and I looped and I cycled, and I had for the first time in my life a panic attack, and I had no idea what it was at the time, but my heart rate went up. I felt like everything the you know the walls were closing down on me. The most logical thing I could think about was get out of the car and there's the mountains and go run towards the mountains. And then I came to, in a sense, where I thought, okay, that's not logical. Something's happening. Just breathe. And I paused and I took a few breaths and eventually the symptoms subsided. And I ended up getting to the places on time. Everything was fine, but I went home. And as I was on the airplane, I was thinking about this. What is causing this? Why is this? And so I started to dig deep. I started to journal. Okay, why am I feeling that way? Is there something wrong with my life? Am I doing something wrong that I needed to be worried about from an emotional or a spiritual standpoint? And really what it came down to, I was like, nah, I, I feel good. Like I feel good, but physically I felt horrible. So I finally came to the realization that over, you know, at the time I had spent not quite two decades in health and fitness. And I said, you know, there's one thing I've never tried. I've never tried a high protein, low fat or uh, low carb diet. So why not give it a try? 
So I started on it, went through the process of going into keto, went all in, testing ketones, testing blood sugar, tracking everything. And all of a sudden, feelings of anxiousness just went away. And I didn't realize how often I was carrying feelings of anxiousness. Digestive issues went away. Body fat starts to drop. You know, 10 pounds, 15 pounds, 20 pounds starts to go away. I'm getting stronger. My joints are healthier. My skin changes. Everything is just improving. And I didn't get there because of some propaganda. I didn't get there because I believed that that was actually the healthiest way to go. I literally got there out of desperation. And I said, well, shit, this is the last thing. I've never tried this. So why not give it a try? Yeah. It was mind-blowing. Now, I vacillate during times of the year because what I've found over the years is I do really well on a low-carb diet for probably, I used to say about 70 to 80% of the year, probably 60 to 70% of the year at this point. But there are points of the year where I bump my carbohydrates up. And I say, I guess I've got to clarify this. Higher carb for me would be anything over 100 grams, right? I think under 100 grams, a lot of people classify as low carb. You know, ketogenic, you might be 30 to 50 grams. Am I, am I in the same ballpark here? Yeah, yeah. I, I consider anything low carb 150 or below, just depending on like your activity level and things like that. Yeah, and, and maybe body mass and muscle size and whatnot. So there are times where I'll go above 100 or 150 for periods of time. And that's what I consider more of my higher carb time, um, depending on my activity level and what I'm doing. Uh, I, I just sleep better when I've got more in. But I kind of, I do the whole... I get my proteins and fats in early in the day, and then I continue with protein throughout the day, but I eat most of my carbohydrates at night because I tend to sleep better. So I feel better, have a lot more energy if I get my proteins and fats early in the day, and then I do carbohydrates at night. Now, I am not recommending that to anybody. I'm just telling you that that is the thing that I found over years currently that works well for me. Talk about your journey. How did you get to this point? You've been carnivore for five years. Is that right? Coming up on five years. Yeah, it was April of 2019 that I first started. So, but before you went carnivore, you were playing in the keto space. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, my journey through health and fitness um, in in respect to nutrition, um, you know, being in cycling, you train for cycling, you understand what a cycling diet is. It's a very high carbohydrate diet, classically speaking. Um, I learned from a triathlon coach in 2012 that he was mixing in more fat with his athletes and they were actually flipping their, their burning, the, the, the substrate that they were burning. So rather than burning carbohydrates for fuel, which is like a, 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 a very like fast acting kind of a fuel, um, think about like a, a really explosive thing. It's like a formula one car type fuel. Lots of pollution right. goes really, really fast. Can't yep. have fuel for very long, you know, just about an hour and a half, two hours for a race. Um, but, but the fat stores that even endurance athletes have, they have quite a bit. So if you can mm-hmm. flip the burn, then that would really improve things and they can improve their endurance. You can go for far longer if you're burning fat versus burning carbohydrates. And that was news to me. So I started mixing in more fat in my diet. Um, somebody gave me an article in like 2014, 2015 that, that, um, or actually, it was an interview that was done by Nina Teichels, um, and and she, of course, is the author of The Big Fat Surprise. Um, I actually did not read The Big Fat Surprise on purpose until 2016. I think it was because of the resistance that I had had to that idea of like, okay, if this woman's right, and I think she might be right, like, I kind of don't want to read this book because that would mean that everything I've learned from cycling and personal training and all these nutritionists that I've worked with, that, that that's all wrong would... I mean, that would turn my whole world upside down. So I kind of resisted it. Um, 
So big fat surprise just kind of tells you that fat is okay and it's been demonized and here's all the studies and why they're flawed and blah, blah, blah. Um, in 2017, I lost my regional position at Lifetime, as you know, and I decided to replace that. I would go and get my nutrition certification. The nutrition certification that I got was, um, you know, a very respectable company, and I maintain that certification to this day, but it re-entrenched my belief in, like, carbohydrates are great, and you need fruits and vegetables and lots of grains, and here's how you balance your meals and, and that sort of Crazy thing. Crazy so, high fiber. Yeah, yeah. Remember the software program that I, yeah. I had purchased that I would put yeah. people on and you did it for a little while and, yep. you know, it teaches you different concepts and different behaviors about food and yep. all of that stuff was was good. It just, I mean, you remember, like, I put how many hundreds of people on that software program, the curriculum runs for one year with lessons that it gives you and weekly checkups and things like that. Two, I had two people ever finish that program. Yeah. One lost a marginal amount of weight and then gained it back. And one person I... I don't know how they're doing today, but they lost a little bit of weight, but not much. They all plateaued. Um, and it really wasn't until working with one of our coworkers and good friend, Clark, um, who came in to do a 60-day challenge. And we sat down to do a consultation. The 60-day challenge was a you know, temporary kind of weight loss, weight loss contest that we were doing at the time at the gym. And he's describing his diet, and he's wanting to lose like 25, 30 pounds. And... Um, you know, he's eating cereal in the middle of the night and I could just recognize like, okay, there's not enough fat really in your diet to make you be really satiated. So get more protein, more fat in, and you know, let's just start there. And in a few days he lost a bunch of weight and he came to me and he's like, dude, I've already lost a bunch of weight. What's this keto stuff? And I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. I've seen it around. Um, I've heard about it, but I don't know that much about it. And, you know, I was getting pigeonholed in that area and I will always give you credit for helping me. Um, when I came to you and saying like, I don't want to be that guy, like people around the club are calling me keto Casey. Like I want to be able to help any, everybody. I don't want to be like niche into this one thing. And you were like, no, you should like do it, like be that person and learn about it. And that was really like the last time I listened to music in my car and like, didn't have a podcast on with, or a book or something in, in the space, like learning more about it. So I could, um, you know, explain it to people. And eventually that led me to, you know, people that were doing carnivore diets. I'd heard about it from the Joe Rogan podcast with Dr. Sean Baker, which I turned off halfway into because I thought it was absolutely preposterous. This doctor who's uber fit in his fifties, he's only eating ribeyes and he's like crushing his deadlifts and rowing competitions. Like this makes absolutely no sense that <laughs> you don't need to eat vegetables. Um, but eventually, you know, I, I, I studied more about it and decided to try it in April of 2019. Um, I, I cut all plants out of my, out of my, um, out of my diet. And I, I'm like you, man, uh, like I felt better. I lost a few pounds. I was already in the, in the keto space. So I already removed a lot of the carbohydrates, but I hadn't gone fully into carnivore. And there was just, it's like 10 days, two weeks in the same, like the, the anxiety that I didn't even know I had the spinning around with all the stuff that was never going to happen, just kind of like faded away. And it was replaced by this, like feeling of what what really was already there was a feeling of just calmness and peace and like whatever happens happens and there's just like you know stoicism talks about like preferred indifferences like you would really love to not get sick or have money or whatever good things but you're not your whole value isn't locked up in that and that's the way that it felt and so for me you know whenever i cheated on the carnivore diet especially with sugar my anxiety came spinning right back and it it, it was awful to the point of me not really wanting to get off it and also understanding that like i'm really not suffering that much by eating steak and eggs every single day like i can do that yeah. it's not that hard for me you know what i mean um and it, in the beginning it, it it sounded like hogwash it sounded like like nonsense that people would come back and say like why 
why did my psoriasis go away? Like, how come I don't get athlete's foot anymore? Like literally for me, like I'd never get, I always had athlete's foot. I haven't had athlete's foot in years. Like my shoulder once a year, somehow in hockey, I'd go to poke check something. My shoulder would hurt and I couldn't figure out what it was. That literally hasn't happened to me. I'm a ginger. Like, look, I'm as blonde as blonde can be. I, you know, burn in the moonlight and I have not had a sunburn in years We're, you know, we did a trip to Mexico almost at, at, at the, the, you know, um, the equinox, or I'm sorry, um, not the equinox, the solstice, the solstice, summer solstice yeah, yeah. in direct okay. sun where the UV was 13 and in the middle of the day, I use shade, but I never burned. And like, you hear all of these amazing things from people and you think this can't be this one thing. A diet cannot fix seemingly everything the people that come to me for weight loss try this and then within weeks forget that they even wanted to lose weight they're losing weight effortlessly but now they're doing it because their skin cleared up and their ibs went away and like it, it's it's really amazing and it really just shows exactly what you said earlier in this conversation that like this is our species appropriate diet we gave up the ability to process a high amount of carbohydrates without figuring out a way to deal with them like i'm not saying carbohydrates are bad but we've learned as a species to soak things and ferment things and and cook things in a certain way to reduce the harms of these plant foods so that we can use them and that's totally fine but we need to remember that the core main food that is bioavailable to us as humans is animal food and that causes some uncomfortable conversations about killing animals and that sort of thing and people might not like it but that that is the truth whether you want to believe it or not and it's just crazy that everything optimizes in that state and the state of ketosis i will very strongly submit is our natural human birthright and is our natural state of living uh, some doctor just came up with a term that was basically a, a disease that is called like a lack of ketosis that's kind of how serious this this is like people that you see that are 400 pounds are not living in a state of ketosis. They're living in a state of what I call the opposite, glucosis, which I stole from Dr. Dave Champion. It's it's a different system. It's running the body on sugar versus running the body on proteins and fats. It's a different way of doing things. It's running an emergency system. It's like running that Formula One car all day, every day. It's not designed to do that. It's going to break down way too quick because that's not the right fuel. And so yeah, that, that's been my journey. Um, I have no intention of, of stopping anytime soon. I feel amazing turning 40 this year. Um, and I feel way better than I did in my 30s for sure. I see you through the screen as you're getting older. I can see your bicep veins have bicep veins even on a computer screen. Like you reverse aging. Like you look better and better and better the older you get and the further you do this. This is the proper human diet. It's just that that's the fact. It just really is. I'm convinced not just from my lifestyle and, and being around friends like you, but uh, just more of the information that comes out and watching what happens when people adopt whole foods, adopt more protein, put more natural foods into their bodies. What happens? I, I'm 47 years old. Uh, I turned 47 in May and we're sitting here. I, I mean, a few days ago, it felt like springtime <laughs> <laughs> not so much today technically it feels like winter now right as we're getting uh, towards the tail end of october but i'm stronger than i've ever been in many of my lips the only one that i i haven't uh like truly tested myself on because i haven't been doing it for a long time is deadlifts but squats i'm mm -hmm. i'm stronger dead or bench press i'm stronger hip thrusts i'm stronger uh, I can pull up with do pull-ups with more weight wrapped around my waist than ever. And that's at 47 years old. And I also have this thing that uh, 
many of my friends and my clients know about that when my family and I, we go on hikes together, that uh, we have uh, a challenge called the trail push-ups. And the trail push-ups are basically that uh, whatever your age is, that's the number of push-ups you have to do. So whenever I say, all right, trail push-up time, um, I got to do 47. Next year, I have to do 48. And so each time we go out hiking, we all have to do our age. And I do that partially because I want to set an example for my kids. And I want to prove to myself that I can continue to get better with age. I think that that's how life is. If, we, if we're constantly putting in the consistent inputs, strength training on a regular basis, the right food, then skin doesn't have to go horrible over time. We don't have to have uh, loss of muscle. I love what, I don't know if you, if you like or follow uh, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, uh, but yeah, she's amazing. That, she just came out with a new book. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to get the book, but I, I listened to her on a podcast recently and she talked about the, how, how she put it that I'll, I'll boil it down. Essentially we have to be lean in order to be healthy. That's the reality. If we're not lean, we're not going to be healthy. Most of the things that kill us are killing us as a byproduct of being overweight or dying of heart disease where, you know, there's all these issues that we're dying of over fatness. But what Dr. Lyon talks about is that we are missing out on this key component of muscle and the importance of protein and the importance of lean muscle. And she said essentially that, that muscle is our protection against aging. As we build more muscle, we have so many places to now store glycogen, sugar. We have so much more muscle to stabilize our joints. We have so much more muscle to create mobility. You know, I, I see people stretching on a regular basis. In fact, I, I was working with a client this morning that had come to uh, come to us and said, hey, we want to, I want to improve my flexibility. If this is what I've been doing, here's what my stretching routine is. What do you think? Now, I used to do yoga from time to time. I used to stretch on a regular basis. I no longer do those things because what I found was that my mobility was limited because I was weak in some other area. And so just like this client that we were working with this morning, where he's constantly stretching, constantly stretching, I said, let's address a couple of the weakness issues. So we address the weakness issues uh, within 10 minutes. I say, okay, now bend over, touch your toes, tell me how you feel. He's like, holy shit, my hips haven't been this open uh, ever. Like, did we do any stretching? Did we do anything for the hips? No. Okay. So we have a strength issue. Muscle and strength gives us longevity, gives us mobility. We age if we don't have those things. What are you doing and what do you recommend your clients do to maintain and build muscle? Man. Um, yeah, I absolutely love that. I couldn't agree more. Her work is amazing. I actually got to meet her at low carb Denver as well. She's like four feet tall, dude. Gabrielle Lyon. It's like she really, really, really short, oh, wow. but she is huh. so strong. Yeah. Super, super strong. No, I, I, I totally agree. It's, um, you know, you see it in people that are aging, we become anabolic resistant. Our body naturally wants to hold on to muscle less and less. Yep. And I look at somebody like my grandpa, he's 93 years old. He does not lift weights, but he's still riding his bike every single day, like 10 miles, it's like super cool. That's um, awesome. It's way awesome. And so, yeah, and they, they hang out with each other, my grandparents, and they laugh every single day until they cry and um, they, they're hilarious. Um, but but yeah, they're, they're super interesting. And, and I attribute his longevity mostly to his strength. He had a, um, you know, kind of a really mechanical type um, 
career and had to work with his hands a lot. So he was very strong, even though, again, he wasn't like lifting weights. Um, so, so what do I do and what do I recommend to my clients this, this summer, for some reason, um, I just kind of didn't really want to be inside that much. And I decided to take some time off of strength training. So I took maybe like four or five months off of strength training where I, I did my same, like normal day-to-day -day stuff. I rode my bike a lot. I, I try to get about 20,000 steps a day if I can. Um, I'll always do a hundred pushups a day. Um, at some point. And so um, I, I kept those things up. But in this time that I deliberately decided not to strength train, I just said like, okay, I'm not going to strength train, I'm going to focus more on some of these other activities that I really love. But what I am going to do is I'm going to make sure that I'm continuing to eat a good amount of protein. And so by doing a body composition test before and after this four or five month period, I really reduced my, my muscle mass by like one pound, it basically like almost didn't even change by that much. Um, now, um, Which, let's pause for just a second, because when most people go on a diet, they will lose, uh, if they're not exercising and the protein is not adequate, they'll lose about a 50-50 split of muscle and fat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, they really will. And they crash their metabolic rate along the right. way. Right. Um, which so the fact then, that you only lost a pound is just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, um, I was able to maintain it pretty good. And like I said, I wasn't like inactive, but I definitely wasn't like looking to build more muscle or anything. Um, but I told you at the beginning of this conversation, I found a space where I can train my people in the winter that I, you know, normally train outside in the summertime. Um, and uh, it's a really fun kind of environment, a really positive place. And so I've decided to start back up with my strength training now. Um, and it, it what, what what I do is is just a form of strength training that's that's moving weight very, very slowly, I move it all the way to like true failure until I'm like shaking, you get to that point where you're really anxious, and you really want to stop. And you just try to push like another like two reps past that you're not like totally destroyed, but just, you know, trying to get to the mental space of like, okay, this is tough, but I've got this, I'm going to live in this area, I'm going to live with this pain for just a little bit longer. Let me keep pushing. I try to do mostly like total body splits. Um, but I really I, I'm deliberately trying to send a signal to my body that says that my current level of strength is inadequate and I need my body to get stronger. So when you go to a gym, as you well know, and you lift a weight and you do three sets to 10 and you finish your third set and 10th rep and you were able to do it, your body just goes, okay, nice. Like we did it. We were able to do it. It was fine. Um, you know, you moved, but there's no, there's no need to like make yourself stronger because you were already able to do what you needed to do. When right. you push yourself to that kind of level where you can't really push that much anymore, your body thinks like, holy shit, like, okay, he, he tried to push something the body doesn't know whether it's a boulder or bear or whatever it is. Like it just knows it needs to get stronger. And so that sends a signal to your body to go to work, to start to make you stronger. And, you know, um, when you walk out of the gym, you're always in worse shape than when you walked into the gym. But when you give yourself the recovery time and the rest and the sleep and all that stuff, that's when your body is building itself up to be stronger. And so between those few things, it's really just kind of a cycle, in my opinion, of, of like kind of three different principles, like one, you need to be sending that signal to your body. So you need to lift heavy things Two, you need to recover, um, you know, get your rest in after you're done lifting, make sure you're, um, you know, recovering, resting, getting great sleep, that kind of thing. And then three, you need the raw materials. Like, how are you going to build something if you don't have the raw materials? And so with muscle, obviously that's protein. We need to be consuming a decent amount of protein. And when you focus your diet on the protein, it always in nature comes with fat. It never comes with carbohydrate unless you're talking about certain dairy. Um, if you just focus on those things and let everything else kind of fall out of the way, your body has this great natural way of telling you when you've eaten enough food because you become satiated. Satiation is different than fullness. Like if I go to lunch and I 
have a salad and it's got some chicken in it, maybe like a light dressing, I will be full. Like I will stop eating at some point because I don't want any more food. But being full doesn't mean that in two hours, I'm not going to be starving, which is going to happen if I eat that salad. And people don't recognize that, that the foods that they're eating are literally making them so hungry in like two to three hours. Right, if I, right. like this morning, I had, you know, 10 eggs when I felt like I wanted to eat and I am not thinking about food right now. I feel really good. I've got really good energy because I'm satiated. And that's what allows me to eat twice a day and no more and eat as much protein as I like. And I wolf it down and it sounds amazing until I get to this one bite where I'm like, nope, I'm done. Like, I don't want that anymore. So I think those three principles, they might not be the sexiest. They might not be, um, you know, the influencer friendly type program that you see on Instagram, but it's a, it's a principle that works. And as long as you can live with those principles and make something work, work for yourself, you can become really strong. And I agree with you hundred percent. I think muscle is um, the organ of longevity. Yeah. Talk about some of the uh, keys to success in creating a healthy body. What are some of the hidden keys what are some of the observable keys oh man it's a really good question um yeah I, it's partially hidden it's it's like hidden in plain sight i don't know how else to say it but like i think hidden in plain sight is the fact pretty much kind of what i just said about like the simplicity of things really trips people up and you know it it people I'll always ask this in a consultation. Do you want things to be more simple or do you want things to be more complicated? And everybody says the same thing. Oh, it has to be more simple. I need things simple. My life is already complicated enough. Please make this as simple as possible. And I'll say, okay, great. So strength train, make sure you're lifting, you know, pretty close adjacent to failure. Uh, eat lots of protein, eat lots of fat until you're fully satiated. Um, you know, get good sleep. Let's identify maybe two or three other things that are problems specifically to you. And let's just start with that. And then inevitably people will be like asking about what about such and such supplement? And it's like, you can, if you want, like, that's fine. What about such and such meal plan? It's like, okay, but that comes with now a shopping list and all these recipes. Like I thought you said you wanted simple, um, you know, like, like we want to, we want to get in our own ways or we're taught by the fitness industry that like, it, it's, it's almost like a gatekeeper. Like you need, you know, the, the professionals, you need the programs, you need these things and they, they can be helpful for sure. But at the same time, if you follow those simple principles, you're probably going to end up in the right place anyway. Um, you know, I often wonder what is the difference between people that are successful in health and fitness and the people that just don't ever seem to really get it and get on the path. Um, and I think that's part of it. Banky things a little bit too complicated. And I think the other part of it is more like a mindset thing. Um, we, we tend to have these like fixed goals that we're trying to get to. I need to lose 30 pounds for this wedding. Um, I want to, you know, I, I want to do this hike or this race. And so we want to get to a certain end point and, and then people kind of jump off and say like, okay, I, I got to here now, let me eat cake and soda again and stop working out. And it's like, you need to think of this as a journey. It's a constant improvement. It's part of why the reason why I like your podcast so much is it, it that that's a big thing that you guys talk about all the time is like, this is a, a, a project that you will have for the rest of your life. It's not something you gain today. And then you automatically have for the rest of your life. Just think of this as like, th these are the good principles that got you to this point and helped you make progress, continue to leverage them to some degree for the rest of your life to continue to see success. So I think, yeah, those are the ones I would, I would say they're, they're hidden and they're kind of obvious. Um, they're kind of hidden in plain sight because again, we're talking about industries, right? Like people make a lot of money when we right. make, make things really complicated. So, um, 
if people remember that to just keep things simple, um, lift heavy things, if that means a band over a tree, like in your yard, like do that, like, that's fine. Um, focus on a, a, a human species appropriate diet, which is mostly proteins and fats, a lot of animal products, like those, those things are the ways that you can leverage that to be very simple and keep things easy for people so they can stay engaged. What, what have you personally changed about your overall health and practice in the last two or three years? Mm, the biggest one and first thing that comes to mind um, is I've moved completely to minimalist footwear. Um, so some people might not think that has to do with like health and fitness, but I absolutely think that it does. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're sold shoes. <laughs> we're sold a story about shoes that like having this like, you know, big elevated heel and cushy shoe is like really, yeah. really good for us. Right. And it pitches us unnaturally forward. And, you know, Bethany in particular, treats a ton of people that have really tons of issues all the way up the chain from knees to hips, ankles, anything going up that really stems from improper footwear and foot health. And so one thing that I've done, um, which I didn't want to do is get rid of all of my shoes. I had tons of different shoes that were expensive and I liked them and they look cool. And I've moved over to more minimalist footwear. So today was a little bit colder. I use an actual shoe. Generally speaking, I only use um, a, a sandal that, that kind of straps on my foot called earth runners, which I absolutely love. And I would say that's the thing that I've changed in the last, you know, couple of years because of the impacts that it's also had on the rest of my health and fitness. My joints feel as good as they've ever felt. My feet literally have gotten bigger. They have gotten more muscular. My toes spread much more so I can feel the ground when I walk around barefoot. Like you feel your toes like grabbing onto the earth and you just have this like better base of stability that then creates mobility in certain other places up the chain. And so that's been the biggest thing I would say that I've changed more recently. Um, if I push out another four or five years um, from that, I would say the biggest thing that I've changed in my training style is the, the style that I lift with. I do a lot less of what you and I were trained in, which is like, quote unquote, like functional training, like trying to do right, right. hockey looking exercises in a gym that's not hockey versus let me do... Um, let me do workouts that make me very strong. And then let me take the rest of the time to go practice hockey in the right context. That's, that's been the biggest thing that I've changed in the last like four or five years. But if I'm looking more in the last couple of years, really transitioning off of, off of traditional shoes and getting onto minimalist shoes has been pretty awesome. Actually. Aside from the sandals, what shoes do you wear? So I, I do the earth runner sandals. Those are my favorite. Um, traditionally I've done vivo barefoots and I will give them a shout out. They, they do great. Um, they make great shoes. That's what I wore today in, in, I don't know what it's like. I haven't ordered a pair of them in quite a while. Um, so I don't know what it's like today when I was ordering them pretty consistently. Um, their inventory was, was pretty tough. They wouldn't always have the style I needed in the right size. Um, and they were pretty pricey and I think they still kind of are. I found a brand of shoes on Amazon. I think it's called Witten and they're kind of like hmm. knit on the top. Um, and they're minimal on the bottom. They've got a wide toe box and the same kind of principles apply for a lot of these shoes. You want to be able to like fold it up. You could put yeah. it in your pocket if you needed yeah. to. It's wide enough for your toes. Your toes can kind of spread. I found this brand of shoe that cost me 35 bucks. I figured that's a pretty low barrier to entry. I don't think this will last very long, but I might as well like try it for $35. They're awesome. They last a really long time. They look really nice. Um, I walk a lot and I put a lot of miles onto them and they are holding up awesome. So I might stick with that brand for at least a little while because it seems to be working really well. Um, a lot of people like zeros, 
I've tried zeros in the past. They don't really work with my feet really, but between those other brands, I, I really like those. And I have other things like different toe spacers and um, things that I, I like massage my feet on when I'm sitting and doing computer work later in the day that really, um, it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference to me. Yeah, I was going to ask about zeros. That's what I've switched over to. Uh, cool. I, I found right now those work really well. In fact, we were in Chicago uh, about a month and a half ago and we got 30, I don't know what it was, 32, 33,000 steps in one day, just wandering nice. around the town. Did it all in zero shoes. And I thought, oh man, these are, I, I wonder how my feet are going to feel at the end of the day. And I was great. No issues, no problems. Awesome. Like one of the one of the first things I do with anybody, if they've, if they've got a shoulder issue or, or a hip issue or a digestive issue, is we start from the feet and we switch them over to a minimalist shoe. And it's amazing the impact that that has just in the first two weeks, because when you can change the bone structure of the feet and you can get the toes to spread and you're grabbing the floor uh, or the ground, it, it you're creating the base of your, your body, right? Which goes up into the knees, which then goes up into the hips, which allows us to stabilize your hips better. I love Hoka's. Um, because they send me a lot of clients. They don't know that they do, but I love them. I call them the train bra or the, uh, or the push-up bra of the shoe world. <laughs> it's like, uh, makes everybody feel good because they throw all this padding on. And I know every time I see somebody with a Hoka, I'm like, that's a client if I want them because <laughs> they're walking around in the push-up bra of the uh, shoe world. They're masking a problem. And so yeah. I, I love Hoka for sending me a lot of uh, business. So just like That's, I used to love CrossFit for sending me a lot of business. I was just going to say it's why CrossFit was invented maybe uh, by uh, orthopedic surgeons or something. Yeah. Yeah. CrossFit and Hoka are two of my favorite brands for, for sending me business because it's uh, like broken people that were just masking. Uh that's Casey, funny. if there's something that you used to believe that you no longer do, uh, what is it? Carbohydrates are essential in the diet. Um, carbohydrates are essential inside the body. There, there's no question. You need a certain amount of sugar in the body. You need to yeah. have certain parts of your body running on carbohydrates. They are absolutely essential inside the body. They are not essential dietarily your body has an amazing system where it can make as much carbohydrate as it needs whenever you want on its own it does that from the breakdown of proteins and fats makes exactly the right amount of carbohydrate that you need all the time again i'm really not trying to demonize carbohydrates and say that they're the worst for everybody all the time it's just we have way too many of them they're way too processed they're added to with with you know tons of seed oils which are horribly inflammatory like you're not going to thrive if you're eating a high amount of them. You don't have the storage right. space for them. It, it's 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 just that simple. And so, again, getting my nutrition certification, learning about the brain and how it needs carbohydrates. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, like this is great. Yeah, it needs a small amount of carbohydrates, but it can actually run on ketones up to about 80%. And it does so preferentially. It looks like the brain wants the ketones anyway. And when we're seeing all this disease and calling dementia the third diabetes and diabetes itself is, is, is poisoning from carbohydrates. You literally are taking in more carbohydrates than your body can can use and control until your insulin goes through the roof and you can't produce any more well, look at all the death and disease that's causing from some of those things and it comes from the overconsumption of carbohydrates so again uh, the biggest thing that i've changed my mind on again from doing my nutrition certification is thinking like carbohydrates are essential you need them with every meal make sure you balance them out to like wait a second no you don't actually need them your body will make them why my nutrition certification only has one single sentence about ketosis and what it is it's got one sentence of an entire metabolic pathway 
that seems to be the preferred metabolic pathway for humans. There's one sentence in this nutrition manual that's like 600 pages. We're talking about like like getting the, eat the rainbow and control your feelings and and count for calories and all these ridiculous things that don't really help people. That that's the biggest thing I've changed my mind about. Like whether somebody ever wants to do carnivore or try carnivore, like people can have one carnivore meal and just see how you feel. Have steak and eggs tonight and see how that is. Like you don't need to do this diet forever, but you can try it and you can see what it's like to not eat carbohydrates. And if you feel better, try it again. If you feel better, try it again. That's what I did. And I learned that for me, it's not worth it to have anxiety. Pizza is great. Ice cream is great. It is not worth a few minutes of something tasting good for then to me, like spinning anxiety for several hours. It's not worth it for me, but people can try again. So that that's the biggest thing that I've changed my mind about is that carbohydrates are central. I love that. I, my experience, uh, I just got to throw this plug in there. As I went low carb, one of the things that I went back to and tested, and you and I went back and forth on this um, as after I got diagnosed with ADHD, is I went back and tested how uh, my body responded and at what levels of carbohydrates were effective and which ones they weren't. Essentially, the lower I went, the better I was up to a certain point. But I still found that brain clarity, and I, I literally went through and I tested, I think it was, um, God, what did I do, 90 days, 60 days, something like that. Mm. I got to go back and look at my notes. And I, I wrote down every day, okay, what? how does my memory, how's my brain clarity, how's my focus, how's my overall energy? And I, I tracked these markers and I watched based on uh, being in states of ketosis and I tracked my blood and I looked at all those things. And the one thing that I found was my brain functions better on a lower carbohydrate diet. And so as a 47-year-old man with ADHD, I take no medication. I am on very few supplements. The only supplements that I take, I take just for, for performance. I take creatine, I take glutamine, I take uh, calcium, magnesium, zinc, and that's about it. I don't take a lot of extra, I'll, I'll kind of rotate between ginseng and, and gacha cola and a few other things just for performance. Uh, and I feel better at certain times of the year taking some of those things. But outside of that, it's, I just, I eat food and it's amazing. And eating in a low carbohydrate way helps my brain to function. So yeah. you want to control emotions, control the food because yeah. it's, we've got the mechanism backwards. We think, oh, control your emotions so you can control your food. No, just eat the food. And over time, you're going to find that your emotions will be, uh, you know, much more under control. Okay, so if, we, if people want to learn more about you and the great work that you're doing, obviously they can find you at Boundless Body Radio, wherever podcasts are listened to. So whatever you're listening to this podcast on, you can jump over and listen to any of Casey's great episodes on Boundless Body Radio, and I highly recommend it. Where else can they go to get more information about you, to find more about you and or coach with you? Yeah, for sure. So the best place to go is just our website, which is called myboundlessbody.com. Um, that has the podcast there. It's got all our socials. Um, I've been pretty disorganized with our social media. We, as we started the company, I kind of converted mine, my personal over to the boundless body, whatever. And so I don't even really know the names of them, but they're tagged on the website. Just go there. Um, and then, yeah, we do have a, um, a button just right on the homepage. It says book now and anybody uh, anywhere in the world can, can book a consultation with us. Um, yesterday I talked to somebody from New Zealand who just had some questions about breaking through a plateau on a low carbohydrate nice. diet, which was really fun. Um, 
And I've, I've recently just had people literally that had just said like, Hey, I just want to say hi. Like that's been way cool to like meet people. So, um, yeah, anybody can do that. We can chat about anything. Um, we do offer, you know, different services, but that chat itself is, is complimentary. We offer it for free and want to make that a, a very high value for people. And hopefully after a 30 minute chat, people are walking away with two or three bullet points of things they can be working on on their own. So yeah, best place to go is just mybalancebody.com. Well, Casey Ruff, my good friend, thanks so much for coming back on. Always a great time to chat. And I was, uh, I just, I, I love the podcast. I loved the episode that you did where you pulled everything together for this blue sound thing. And I thought as soon as I started listening to it, I'm like, we got to talk about this. I haven't discussed this at all on our podcast. And I think it's something that people need to hear about. They need to understand what is being put out there relative to this dogma and this propaganda. And I think you and your guests did an amazing job of debunking a lot of the lies that are out there. So thanks for coming on and sharing with our uh, listeners today. Thank you so much. It's always an honor to talk to you. Always a lot of fun. Yeah, great to have you. And on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up another episode of The Evolved Man. Casey Rowe, thanks again for coming on, sharing your knowledge and wisdom with our amazing listeners. Um, guys, remember that it does take time and consistency to evolve. But first, you have to disrupt. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. Thanks for joining me today for this episode of The Evolved Man. If you're learning from and gaining value from this podcast, please subscribe to The Evolved Man newsletter, where I can support you even more in your personal evolution. I want to help you reverse engineer your success. The Evolved Man newsletter is like getting a free coaching session to keep you moving forward on your path of personal success. Go to the evolvedmanpodcast.com to sign up today. If you found value in this episode, you can give us up to a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify and share it with your network. That's the best way to support the podcast so we can continue to get great guests and provide you with the best wisdom for your daily life. Until next time, keep evolving.